passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock alongside Waiting, and we have a very busy show for you tonight. We are going to be going through Fighter Fest, heading into All In this weekend, and we will be getting to your feedback, your questions, and your super chats if you want to get them in a little later on. But off of the top, we are going to be discussing the passing of a legendary figure in professional wrestling, Terry Funk, who has passed away at the age of 79. This was one of those stories way that I think everyone you know, knew that the day would be coming for Terry Funk. But nonetheless, I don't think that uh, prepares you for someone of this just enormous, enormous influence of someone that, I mean, had a career that goes back to like in the ring in the mid 60s. But you could go like this guy was born into the industry through his father, Dory Funk Sr. And somebody that ties in everything from Eddie Graham to icp and xpw and all things in between i mean this was somebody that i mean was wrestling not all that many years ago when he was finally finishing up like his in-ring years and um you know his his wife passed away a number of years ago and that was very very hard on him but this is i mean it's it's a cliche of how the term legend is often thrown around but that word is reserved for people of the stature of a terry funk certainly yeah um you know unfortunately um news that really wasn't surprising at, at this stage just you know just given recent health reports um nonetheless it, it it anytime you have to try to like put into words either in a 20 minute discussion or on like in an article about you know the the entirety of a man's career i mean it's really difficult but it's especially especially difficult when you're talking about somebody like a terry funk so uh, i'm sure our guest today will try his best yeah, we wanted to have uh, W.H. Park uh, join us here off the top to talk just a little bit about the career of Terry Funk. And there's so many different ways of which we can go, uh, W.H., in terms of uh, Terry Funk and his influence as, you know, in just so many different areas of the the industry. And he did them all. But I kind of want to just start with when Terry Funk first came onto your radar. Can you go back to when you first I'm going to guess it was probably sometime in the 80s in WCW, maybe. But um let me know when Terry Funk kind of came into your orbit. Oh, in the WWF when he was feuding with the Junkyard Dog. Okay. And he did the famous angle with the, the ring attendant who put on his cowboy hat. And then he proceeded to beat the living shit out of the guy. And then from that moment on, I was like, who is this guy? This guy's like 
holy, he's he is like one mean dude. And like from there, he's like, you know, doing the stuff with the junkyard dog. He's being managed by Jimmy, Jimmy Hart. He teams up with um, Dory Funk Jr., his brother later Hoss. on. Hoss Funk. And then they, they bring in Jimmy Jack and. And then, okay, then he kind of disappears off my t- television radar after he leaves the WWF. But I, I'm following him through the after mags. He's, he's doing, I, I think he's mainly Memphis. And then he's wrestling in Japan. He's wrestling in, you know, like Puerto Rico. And then he finally comes back to do the famous angle with Ric Flair in uh, the dying days of NWA before it becomes WCW. And then it's like, okay, he's back. And then it's just, he's an ever, you know, he's always there in wrestling I, I feel and 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 then was it when i'm getting into japanese wrestling particularly new japan and all japan is like oh okay he is so important to to all japan especially and then later on you discover okay he's also so important to the popularity of fmw and really like really an, a pioneer of like uh, of deathmatch wrestling from from the days of fmw and then iwa in japan to ecw yeah, it's like just going through uh, his career in the in the last couple of hours, and you just look at all of these places that he was from. You know, going to Florida during the golden period <clears throat> of that territory. When you talk about uh, Japan as you know one of the most influential Americans uh, to go over there, like him and his brother being like the the like they were right there with Baba's they're launching all Japan and then Terry Funk and Dory, they become the foreign bookers for all Japan. And that is their, their home company. And 1983, it's the big retirement match. And that was thought to be, that's, that's the end. That's the send off of Terry Funk. It's the famous moment in beyond the mat with forever. And he comes back in 1984, but that, that is how far back we're going. We're going, this guy was ready to call it a career before I was born. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Like one of the things that's synonymous with Terry Funk's is retirement ceremonies and retirement matches that he never seems to keep. But if you talk about just Japan, like you know, there is no all Japan without Terry Funk and and Dory Funk Jr. Um, because their popularity aside, they were the the foreign bookers. They booked all the foreign talent through their Amarillo promotion to come work for giant baba giant baba trusted the funk family particularly like terry and, and dory they were they became two of the most popular foreign wrestlers ever wrestle in japan like i i in my stan stan hansen biography would say that stan hansen is the most well-known and and probably the most popular foreign wrestler to ever wrestle in japan but coming very close to him is is terry funk you know like people know who terry funk is they know who you know, they, they, you know, signature of like a cowboy wrestler, it's Terry Funk, but they also are, he's synonymous with deathmatch wrestling. Yeah. His work in IWA and FMW. Yeah. I mean, he is one of the many that, that came out of, uh, of West Texas state of just all of the, the wrestlers that kind of migrated from, from there. And a large part of that was because in, in that part of, of the territory of that part of the state, I mean, it was it was very much cultivated by first like Doc Sarpolis, but then when Dory Funk Sr. Uh, got a piece of that territory and it became like the Funk's um, training ground. And you mentioned the relationship with Baba. I mean, he sent Jumbo Saruta over there to, to train with the Funk's, uh, Janichiro Tenaru uh, to go over there. Like that really does kind of underline that, that, that trust that they had with the Funk's. And the Funk's are a mainstay of all Japan all the way 
up until the 90s. And it's like all these different chapters. And then you look at the 90s and you think, okay, this is where a guy who was NWA champion in 1975 is probably on, you know, the the final lap of his career. And the 90s, you could argue he has some of his biggest impact when it comes to what he did with FMW. I mean, trying to get like helping Smoky Mountain Wrestling get off the ground. Of course, there's the ECW influence throughout the 90s where he was so key to that that first pay-per-view. And then he's here was a guy that was in the WWF during the first big national boom period, headlining with Hogan on NBC. And then he's back in the Attitude Era as Chainsaw Charlie. And then he finds himself as, you know, just by proxy attached to that famous Hell in a Cell match with The Undertaker and Mick Foley. And he's there uh, killing time. And then he's going back to Japan. And then he's getting involved in other upstarts. Like he was just involved in so many different eras and generations and adjusting himself and like th- i don't think there will ever be another person that is going to have a comparable type of career to terry funk i think it's impossible in the way that the industry is structured now wh that you could ever come close to replicating this type of legacy i i, I don't think anyone can have the career of a terry funk um i mean he was so unique he just worked everywhere that was the thing like a lot of people They'll pick a promotion. They work for that promotion. He picked, you know, at least five different promotions through between, you know, 1972 to like 1983 on top of like being loyal to, to, to Giant Baba. And then, I mean, you, you mentioned like Jumbo Saruta being sent to, to, to the funk funks to, to be trained by them in junior true tenure, but also like they trained, they discovered and they trained Stan Hansen. And yeah. I can't even imagine what wrestling in Japan would be like without Stan Hansen and 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 like if you if you take a poll of like who are the most famous foreign wrestlers to ever work in in Japanese wrestling, of course Stan Hansen is going to be up there. Bruiser Brody, Abdul the Butcher, but like Terry and Dory Funk are going to be in that conversation. I I would say you know Terry's like hovering between you know two and three. Like you know it, it's it's amazing. And, and the thing was with Terry Funk in Japan is he was they loved him I, because he loved Japan so much it, it came through in his his wrestling his entrances for, for from the dressing room to the ring and just if you watch any any of his matches in in all japan like the entrance and the, the the love that the fans have for him was just unbelievable i think it's unparalleled to be quite honest and i don't think it's been matched since and in terms of stan hansen i know you guys you just went over this on your uh, long and winding royal road show but i mean uh, Terry and Dory, they're the foreign bookers when Stan Hansen makes the big jump from New Japan to All Japan. It was this very famous scene um, at, at the end of the uh, the real world uh, tag league final that was in 1981. That jump starts like, you know, like the war between All Japan and New Japan had started maybe, you know, a bit earlier with the jumping of Abdullah Butcher Abdullah. To, to, to New Japan. And so, you know, I was just watching an interview Stan Hansen has talking about like, how did that happen? How did you make the jump from New Japan to all Japan? Because he was being pushed there. And he said, Oh, Terry Funk called me up and said, Hey, Baba's Baba didn't like what happened with Abdullah. We want you to come over. And so he's the one who arranges the, the secret meeting between Baba and, and Stan Hansen. And Terry Funk is pretty much like an architect of, uh, a boom period in Japanese wrestling with this like kind of promotional war between all Japan and new Japan with 
talent jumping back and forth. And I, I would say All Japan pretty much came out on top of that deal because like they got Stan Hansen and they also got Bruiser Brody and the deal. But the thing was, is like, okay, who are we going to pair them against? We're going to pair them against Terry Funk and Dory Funk, two, the two mainstay foreign guys who are wrestling for All Japan and are just synonymous with, with uh, uh, they are synonymous with All Japan as much as like Jumbo Suda or Jinichu Tenru were. Yeah, I mean, they had that legitimacy right off the bat of here are two former NWA champions that are, you know, that was that was such a big part of sort of their kind of allure in in Japan as well. Like once, um, you know, Terry holds the title from 75 to 77 when, when he drops it to Harley Race, actually right here in, in Toronto is where he dropped the title. And as we mentioned, like he's he's pretty much a mainstay with, with all Japan until the early 90s. But there's. There's so many stops in the way. It's like his promos are certainly going to outlive him because there are just so many incredible um, clips that are already circulating of some of his great promos. And I think some like you, you can pick all different eras of Terry Funk, but that period in like 1981 in Memphis working with Jerry Lawler, this sets up the the empty arena match, which is a very famous match um, that is is referenced. I mean, that to me was like, if you just want a snapshot of Terry Funk, it's that empty arena match at the Mid-South Coliseum where there it's like a closed set and it's just Jerry Lawler and Terry Funk showing up and Terry Funk's performance in this is something for the ages. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like, I don't know anyone who's who's had such an influence in American wrestling and Japanese wrestling. You can talk about Stan Hansen, but he's primarily in a of Japanese wrestler like he's his influence is primarily in Japan but Terry Funk spans the globe he he spans like into Memphis into Florida into the into the national promotions of the WWF of WCW um and he has so many amazing feuds <laughs> we could talk about his feuds with Jerry Lawler with Ric Flair with the Junkyard Dog and and we just go on and on and like all the matches he had with with you know Jumbo and Tenru and Brody and Hansen it, it, it it's 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 quite a career like and the fact that he was able to continue doing this well into the 60s was like it's pretty impressive and and I I've always had a great deal of admiration for the 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 love Terry Funk had for professional wrestling but also like how much he wanted to give back to a business that he felt gave so much to him yeah i mean that was one thing that I was thinking about today is that as late as those ECW tribute shows, I remember that it was that, that weekend when WWE is running the first one night stand and then Shane Douglas is doing his hardcore homecoming shows. And he knew he could only work one of those shows that, that weekend he couldn't do back to back nights. And he opted to do the Shane Douglas shows just feeling like they are trying to preserve the, the real ECW and not just the, the, the version that, you know, WWE has like sucked up the, what was ECW. It was it was always sort of that that paying it forward uh, mentality that went into much later in his career. And then the following year, he is working with he had many, many stints. When you look at it with the WWE from the 85, 86 period, he comes back. If this is a somewhat well-remembered story when he was going to be one of Shawn Michaels mystery nights at the Survivor Series in 93. And then the night before the Survivor Series, he left a note for Vince McMahon that he was going home because his horse was sick. And that was the last of Terry Funk for that run. 
Then he comes back in like 97 and is gone after some like expletive laden promo on shotgun Saturday night. Then he's chainsaw Charlie. He had some very bizarre runs in the, uh, in the WWF uh, throughout his career, but how much of WCW were you watching? Like in 1989, are you pretty on board with, with WCW at that point? WH and yeah, I mean, I'm 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 there with like the you know the introduction of the Great Muda, like the 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 alliance of like Terry Funk and Great Muda with Gary Hart, the JTEX Corporation, and like the feud with Ric Flair, but also like bringing in like people like you know Dick Slater is brought in, the Dragon Master is brought in, and but the core of it is like. Terry Funk and Great Muda versus Ric Flair and Sting. And I think I, I think that feud, the Flair Terry Funk feud, is like something that cements like WCW is like, okay, this is a serious, this is now a serious promotion. It's it's come from the ashes of Jim Crockett promotions. And you also have like not only Flair and Funk at the top here, but just bubbling underneath are Sting and the Great Muda, who are like just bubbling, like, you know, they're like, okay we can get these guys to this funk flare level, we're going to be able to give Vince a run for his money. They didn't, they ended up doing that, but Hey, you know, I give Terry Funk a lot of credit for, for sticking around as long as he did. And then, I mean, we, we can also talk about good Lord, like FMW. Like, I don't think FMW becomes as big as it did. I don't think Asushi Anita as charismatic and as influential as he was. I don't think he becomes as big as he is without, you know, Terry Funk in there. And then like later on, he then applies his, you know, his kind of uh, stamp of approval to IWA and the King of the Deathmatch shows in Japan with, with, with Cactus Jack, AKA Mick Foley. Do you know, that, like, what is the transition that goes from, from all Japan to how does that, how does he get to FMW and explain a bit about FMW? Because here is a company that is drawing these, like they're running stadium shows and they are, they have no television at, at the time. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I, I would imagine because the Sushi Onita was, you know, he started off in the all Japan dojo. He was in all Japan when Terry Funk was there. So they know each other that way that like, you know, Terry Funk has a, has a retirement matches. I think pretty much Bob is like, no, you've retired. I don't want to put you back in the ring necessarily, but then, you know, maybe Onita's like, Hey, what if you want to come back to wrestling in Japan? Why don't you come do this stuff? And I, I, I can only imagine Terry Funk was like, "Hey, yeah, what you're gonna? There's explosives and barbed wire. Sounds like you know me wrestling in Florida and, and Memphis. Like, yeah, let's bring that stuff to Japan. I think to be able to be a, a, a kind of a pioneer of a, of a different style of wrestling in Japan and be part of like something that's obviously working with Onita." Um, is something that was very appealing to Terry Funk. And then when, you know, business is down with, with FMW for a variety of reasons, like, you know, the relationship, I don't know what the relationship with Onita and Funk was or Funk with, you know, whoever was in charge of FMW by the time he jumps to IWA Japan and does the deathmatch stuff over there. But like, I mean, I don't think he, this stuff gets as much press and as much, you know, like coverage as it does in in the west if it's not because of terry funk's involvement in it and those like iwa uh shows and in particular like the king of the deathmatch tournament i mean this was the tape to get and a, a huge commercial that they got was when they they ended up showing clips of this on raw to really enhance mick foley and get him um to, to that next level and like i just remember uh, in in the late 90s, uh, a friend of mine going to an ECW show 
and he bought one tape and it was this king of the death match from 1995 and he invited me over and we just put this tape on and it was like we were watching something illegal and getting to, to see this and here is like terry funk and this just becomes such a famous uh famous tournament famous tape and it's you know, it's Mick Foley and Terry Funk that just put such a a big spotlight on it. But again, like that was most people's introduction into IWA in Japan. And and, and he, you know, it didn't last as long as, you know, as FMW would. But I think, you know, Big Japan Pro Wrestling, you know, um, owes a big debt of gratitude to, to the legacy of Terry Funk because without him and Onita, there's, I don't think there's as, you know, the, I don't think it lasts as long as it has, like to this day, like deathmatch wrestling, hardcore wrestling is such a popular thing in Japan because one of the most popular wrestlers to ever wrestle in Japan decided, I, I, I want to do this. Like, you can't see me in all Japan anymore, but hey, guess where you can watch me? I'm going to be an FMW, like, you know, bleeding and, and getting torn up and, and being exploded with landmines with, with Onita. And there you go. And that's, I think the the rest is history. Like, and that then permeates over to like, you know, America with, with ECW especially. And Terry Funk's obviously involved with that as well. He also had, you know, getting outside of professional wrestling, like in movies like Roadhouse and Paradise Alley, but like for, for wrestling fans, and I would say even for non-fans, I'm I'm curious way what you think, you know, beyond the mat contributes to his, j- just the legacy of Terry Funk, where you got to see a different side of him with, with his family. And at that point, they're building up to another retirement in 97 with Bret Hart, which is another retirement that doesn't stick. But that's, you know, a very famous documentary for wrestling fans. And Terry Funk is a huge, huge part of that. And I think that that was another aspect that, um, people just just get to see Terry Funk in a different light. Uh, I would say probably a, a good deal. You know, you um, he's not somebody who I would say, despite you know spending a lot of time in the WWE. I mean, was never a part of like the class of Hulkamania, and I don't know if he really enjoyed the same mainstream level of success as maybe a lot of his contemporaries. Um, so for those who might have seen that personal side of him through the documentary, I thought it probably gave you a different perspective on, you know, not just Terry Funk, but just maybe veteran wrestlers. And I would assume influenced a great deal of, um, you know, um, uh, the wrestler. Um, Is that the name of the movie? I forget at this point now. Um, Darren Aronofsky. The the wrestler. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Yeah. It's been a while, everybody. Um, So, yeah, I would say beyond the mat, probably, I mean, it was certainly one of my first introductions. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, you know, when, when, you, when you look back and you're right, like he had his all different runs in the WWF and he was someone that I, I would still say, like, w- if you're looking at the legacy of Terry Funk, it's like the WWF is like way down the list in terms of and this is someone like he did. He headlined a Saturday night's main event with Hogan. Like I would say like that, that 85, 86 run that you were exposed to WH would probably be his most most sustained run, but it's. This is not a guy that was just it was off of the WWF uh, exposure that, uh, you know, that was that was down the list for him. He crafted such a a legacy and it was all over the world and in really impactful ways, too. When you look at, you know, just for modern fans, I think they will associate him with ECW in many ways. Oh, I, I think so. I think, you know, like 
his, you know, kind of mentorship of people like Tommy Dreamer and of course Mick Foley is something that's also part of his his legacy. Um, I mean just you know, outside of wrestling, outside of being a wrestler, like it's it's unbelievable, like the the influences he has had, him and his brother have had on on wrestling. Like, you know, like there's a lot of wrestlers who pattern themselves after him will tell you, like, oh, I'm he Terry Funk was my favorite wrestler, Min's Teo in in Terry in Boy. Pro. He was Terry Boy because that and he wrestled his style of punching was patterned after Terry Funk because he was a huge Terry Funk fan. And and a lot of people on in the independent wrestling scene in, in Japan humongously you know like oh a huge debt of gratitude to to terry funk and they and they often show it in in their matches like or sometimes with how they how they dress they like the famous like we have this image of him with his his trunks over striped pants like that's that's sometimes you see sometimes people pay homage to that look when when they're when they're honoring terry funk or you know like you have a lot of cosplay wrestlers in japan like people pretending to be other wrestlers like the most famous ones usually are like you know Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody, but like Terry Funk tends can can you know show up once in a while. People like pretending like I'm going to dress like Terry Funk, and usually it's like this era of Terry Funk that they're dressing up as. Yeah, I when I see these tights, one of the things I remember about is that that it's a very forgettable WCW run that he has in 2000, and there's a match that him and Chris Candido have where they end up in in the horse stable. Do either of you remember this? And they're wrestling around an actual horse that like lifts its leg and like nails Terry with the, like this horse that nails them. And like, this could have been just a disaster on an episode of, of thunder. Um, and I mean, it's just when you just sit down and you could go through hundreds of these different scenarios of Terry Funk, and they're just the most wide ranging, like a guy that can be attached to an episode of thunder in 2000. And you can tie into Johnny Valentine in the, in the mid seventies. Look at this way is uh, on top <laughs> of everything here. I mean, this was just, I, I mean, it, I, again, like you will never be able to duplicate a career like this that just had such a, like the most varied career that I think you you could possibly paint. And when when it comes to foreigners in Japan, like I I don't think anyone would. Well, where does a Terry Funk kind of level off at in in terms of like influence in in Japan when you're looking at like the biggest names of your Abdullahs of Dick Byers of Stan Hansen's is Terry Funk comparable slightly below. Like those three, like where is a Terry Funk and and what kind of coverage do you expect a Terry Funk to receive uh, with his passing? I, I think massive coverage and in, in like to you know, uh, weekly pro wrestling for sure. I think all the see, shows, I'm all sure the shows gonna are going to have like Ten Bell salutes to him. New Japan, All Japan, you know, Pro Wrestling Noah, they're all going to pay tribute to him. And and I would imagine people are going to do Terry Funk spots in yeah. their matches for the next couple of weeks. Um. Where where does he stand in the pantheon? Like he, he's like in the top four. Like you know, he's Stan Hansen, Brody, Abdullah, Terry Funk. I I think he surpasses Dick Byer. I think because Dick Byer was of a certain generation and like he helped you know popularize Japanese wrestling in its heyday in the in, at the start. But the people who you know kind of shepherded to another level through the seventies through the nineties are Stan Hansen. And Terry Funk and Abdul the Butcher and and Bruiser Brody. Those are the four that I would say have 
the most cultural impact to people? Like, who are you? Who who do you who do you think of when you think of an American wrestling? If you ask a Japanese wrestling fan, they'll probably say Stan Hansen, but then they'll probably say Terry Funk, and then like Brody and and I don't know like how many people think of Abdullah as an American wrestler, but you know, as a foreign wrestler, he's up there for sure. But for 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 like I I do maintain Stan Hansen is like the pinnacle. He's at the top of the mountain, but right below him at the next plateau is probably Terry Funk. As we uh as we uh, wind wind this down, are there any is is there one specific match that comes to mind? Are there any like matches that uh, immediately come off the, the top of your head that you're uh, drawn to with, with with a Terry Funk? I mean, like the stuff he did with Flair for sure. Like the, the the crazy angles where he's like putting the plastic bag over Flair's head—that's <laughs> that's that's like memorable. I, I would say there's just, one where he like pours motor oil on top of his own head. Um, I mean, the guy just went everywhere. Just like there was no, um, there there was no line. He was not willing to like cross over just to get an angle over, whether it worked but, or not. And and he was also a very very sharp guy that could learn from angles that did work and didn't work. And I think that very much goes back to the mentality of a. Uh, growing up in a family that i mean you you lived off of what you drew and if an angle missed it was like that that affects your your livelihood and i think that very much informed his like business savvy it, th- throughout his career of learning from mistakes and understanding what draws what doesn't draw definitely like his run all japan like that's that's the thing i would recommend just to see my god the the popularity he had and then like a lot of the stuff he did with with dory jr as his partner there's like the matches they have against Hanson and Brody. There's the matches they have against, you know, Jumbo Saruta and Tenru with different partners, the road warriors. Like there's a lot of fun stuff that you can see, but I think what, why I would recommend his all Japan stuff is because watch the connection he has with the fans and vice versa. It is amazing. Very, very few wrestlers have a connection with the Japanese audience that that aren't Japanese as much as Terry Funk did. Yeah, what one to certainly check out is the uh the Real World Tag League final. This was in 77, the first year that Dory and, and Terry uh won it against the Sheik and Abdullah the Butcher. It's just a really famous match and just the the crowd is l- losing their minds by the end of it, but there's just such a wide variety uh that you can check out but uh wh i want to thank you so much uh, wh uh, jumped on board really uh last minute and i really appreciate uh, us getting to kind of uh wax poetic about terry funk i thought you would be uh, uh, awesome to so, have on, so thanks thanks for much. the invite I, I i it's an honor to be able to talk about such an amazing influence on the history of professional wrestling on the history of japanese professional wrestling and and i you know i'm just looking forward to all the tributes and i'm looking forward to like a longer article from you john on on the site and and yeah, it's 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 I I don't know what else to say. Like R.I.P. Terry Funk, Funk Funk forever. All right, thanks a lot, W.H. Uh, we appreciate it very much. Thank you, W.H. And maybe a, a future long and winding Royal Road on uh, on Terry Funk uh, down the road. But um, wait, when did Terry Funk first kind of? Uh, when do you have a first memory of Terry Funk? You, you know, Terry Funk, somebody who I'm sure I watched. Um, in several periods but i don't know if i ever really noticed or nor really like i would say became a fan until the king of the death match and i was one of those people that saw it at those tapes and i actually saw it through 
um yeah how did i believe they called it strangle mania i think we actually oh, where, where icp does the commentary over so it. yeah i watched the matches with icp doing commentary and i completely fell in love with i mean the whole Mick thing only got pissed because he wanted royalties off of, of those tapes yeah and i believe he he did get something off of it whether or not terry funk did i mean i certainly hope so um but you know um I mean, it's that, and then you dig into, of course, the exploding barbar death match with Onita. Um, I mean, you talk about influence, you know, like a, a John Moxley beyond. I think you know the the sort of inclinations towards the death match wrestling, um, just the sort of idea of being a journeyman in in pro wrestling and doing everything on every single weekend, no matter how successful, how much respect you already have in the industry, to still continue to seek out novel experiences. I, I think that's what Funk represents to me. I, I think his uh, DNA is very much embedded in a in a John Moxley, where he mm-hmm. is not taking bookings where it's going to be like he's taking things that are like personal challenges and just not looking at size of venue. It's like put myself in every situation I can possibly find myself in. And it's it was such a forgotten moment on television, but it was cool in the lead up to that Brock Lesnar match at WrestleMania that many years ago when Terry Funk shows up and, uh, you know, it, it's it's essentially like a passing of the torch kind of moment with Terry Funk and Dean Ambrose, but was not really played up as hmm. all that much. But they did kind of get that moment on on a WWE program. That was 2016. Hmm. So uh, we will have much more on uh, Terry Funk. Again, a big thank you to WH Park for uh, for jumping on uh, with me. There's just there's so much to go into with a uh, with a giant giant career uh, of Terry Funk's. Mm-hmm. So um, on that note, I think we're just going to transition over to Dynamite because there was quite a lot of news coming out of this uh, go home edition of Dynamite, the Fighter Fest episode from the Gas South Arena in Duluth, Georgia, and we'll do an update of the card because it does require some updating after this show. And they did start off with a graphic for Terry Funk, and I mean this had to have been like I saw this news around like what four ish, like this was really late in the day. Uh, in terms of it, it would not surprise me at all if we see like a lot of Terry Funk inspired um, stuff at Sunday show, I would think like just again, yeah. such a such an influential figure on so many of this generation and beyond. I'm curious to see like how WWE w- might handle it because they are, I guess, the keepers of a lot of that footage, you know, but it's, they did put a, a video up today oh, with, like highlights okay. of, you know, his, his different stuff and some of his, like his hall of fame induction in, in 2009. Um, you know, I, I think he's one that's going to get like a, like mentions on all the, all the programs, like impact put out a statement, like everybody, and mm-hmm. as WH said, like all the Japanese companies, like no and all Japan have shows this weekend. New Japan has no shows till September 8th, but especially for all Japan, like that is, you know, the, I would say the Japanese group, the existing Japanese group that he is most affiliated with, like they're all going to do their 10 bell salutes. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, uh, the tributes are going to be immense over the next couple of days. So the beginning of the show, we are teased with Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks against Juice Robinson and the Guns, and they end up brawling on the floor before the bell ever rings, and Rick Knox gets taken out by Juice Robinson, and Jay White gets involved, and then Omega's fighting uh, the Guns. Austin misses the Famouser and takes a Snapdragon, and this is where we are noted that Jay White and Omega 
have a bitter rivalry going back to their days in New Japan. And there's a V-trigger to Jay White. Takeshita then runs in, nailing Omega. They're choking out Nick Jackson on the floor. FTR then arrive, and they attack Bullet Club Gold. And it's down to Omega and Takeshita in the ring. Omega lands a knee and goes for the one-winged angel. It's avoided. Takeshita rolls out of the ring, and then he gives the devious point to the sign, to the all-in sign. And uh, no Ibushi or Hangman part of this a final angle, and this was a rare promoted match on AEW television that they did not deliver on, instead doing the the brawl and non-start to the match. Mm-hmm. Ibushi not appearing, you know, for a, a, a brawl in America right before Understand. he has to fly to, you know, England, I do I do get. Um, I guess Pager's absence may be a little bit more peculiar, but, you know, it's it's not like it would have added that much more you know but but sure like you of course when it comes to page being in the same building on the same night as the rest of the roster um namely it's gonna leave your audience asking questions i suppose sure um but the brawl itself i thought that was a really hot tee up for the match on pay-per-view but i did find it weird because it's really unlike AEW to advertise a match and not deliver it at all um so as a result it felt a little bit unsatisfying I don't know if I would have just advertised the match, you know, um, unless there were other things going on that might have prevented this from actually taking place. Well, but. if you notice, they also bumped the the Jack Perry segment to Saturday. That was mm-hmm. advertised for tonight. And I mean, they had so much stuff on this show. Yeah. I can't count how many times I saw Renee Paquette in segments tonight. Well, you remember, they, they don't just have one pay-per-view to build. They have to sow the seeds for All Out as well. Yeah, and we can talk about how effective that was by the end. Renee's uh, first of a marathon of segments was a sit-down interview with MJF, and he states how the British people love him, makes fun of their crooked teeth, and says he is a modern-day Davy Boy Smith if Davy Boy was Jewish and a good public speaker. And he is the second coming of Winston Churchill. And if the fans are the loudest crowd ever, he's going to buy them all a pint before telling Renee he's lying. And admits... He gets serious here that it's an immense amount of pressure he's under. It's the biggest event in pro wrestling. And this does not happen without the people that paved the way for me, like Hogan, Bruno, Dusty, Hunter, Undertaker, Cena, Triple H. He is standing on the shoulders of giants and may become a giant himself if he wins. Um, And that's the pressure that he's ready for. And then Renee plays clips of the history of MJF and Adam Cole. And they focus on segments where they were showing cracks in the relationship. And MJF states that Adam Cole's a genuine friend. That's real. And that Cole's made him a better person. He has taught me to trust and let my guard down. Cole is not just my friend. He's my brother. And brothers fight. They push themselves. But at the end, they hug it out. And I've been vulnerable for the first time. And I'm asking you fans to go on this journey with me. And if you do, you will not be disappointed. And I am your scumbag. So um, a a lot of uh, ground here um, that they were... um, setting things uh in motion for but um yeah this was our first uh interview how did you think it came across i thought it was a really good babyface interview from njf um i and it, you know he has become the type of babyface that completely understands why the crowd likes him but he does not change his character you know he's still an asshole but as he keeps saying he's our asshole um and he's completely honed in on how to be likable while still being a complete jerk um, at, or at least throwing, you know, elements of being a complete jerk. I mean, it's what Steve Austin figured out all those years ago as well. I, I think the, they've done a remarkable job at over these few months convincing us that MJF and Adam Cole truly are <laughs> 
close friends you know i mean it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it like how long has have they even how long has this really been you know set up two months it feels like you know? june they 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 had the dates on the the videos right june, okay june 14th was the match they had the time limit match yeah and it's ridiculous to think in two months time they could convince us of this close relationship between these two but i think they've it, it took really you three job. years to like me <laughs> well we didn't have wembley to you know um uh to main event so maybe maybe that drives things a bit faster um but you know it's it's thanks in large part to those corny ass vignettes i mean they 100 percent worked and i would say they're more than responsible for a large chunk of the interest in this program yeah it's it's a really interesting program that is ultimately going to be judged by what the next chapter is in the program because it's been a divisive one there are people that can look and cite the success that the segments have had numbers wise and others that just feel like it is a a tone they don't want the aew program to go in and i mean there's there's not like a right or wrong answer but i think ultimately it's what what is the next evolution of this and if tonight's show Two, two things I really liked are that they are promising you like that next chapter occurs on Sunday and mm-hmm. they're teasing like a big angle to culminate in in that match. They're teasing one of these two turning. Basically. That's what it is. And mm-hmm. you're kind of torn of who it's going to be or at least I think almost trying to make it as though MJF is this character that you're not supposed to trust and ultimately believe he is he is going to be the snake in this whole thing, even though all the all the hints are being set up the, the other way with with Adam Cole. The other thing I really liked about this show was the constant mention of 80,000 people. They made you feel like this is a big, big show. And mm-hmm. I like to me, you could not repeat that attendance figure more times on a show like this. Like that was everything is designed for Sunday. And this is like we have pay-per-views, but this is another level and you can't miss this show. I thought they hammered that home very effectively. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. And they actually have that, I guess, hard number to be able to, you know, completely like uh, uh, publish and promote at this point. I will say I I thought on this show beyond like, you know, saying 80,000, they did a good job of telling you the importance of Wembley in several segments that we will talk about um, in, in the future. John Moxley and Ray Phoenix is the first official match on the show. And uh, they, they had a very nice match here. Phoenix did the rope walk, missing with the kick after taking a curb stomp on the floor. And Phoenix escapes a rear naked choke and hits a rolling cutter and a frog splash for a two count. They're tra- trading strikes from their knees. And then Moxley, who's going after the mask of Phoenix, uh, bites Adam and stops a double underhook from Phoenix off the turnbuckle to hit an avalanche death rider. And everyone thought this was the finish. Phoenix kicks out and the place explodes and moxley goes immediately to the rear naked choke and phoenix is fighting it but he goes out at 13 minutes and 37 seconds so moxley gets the win and then claudio and yuda enter with crowbars and kingston and penta are out and they get confronted by ortiz the returning ortiz who is on the ramp and then coming from the back santana is no more he is now mike santana Mm-hmm. Mike Santana. He, he gained um a first, first name, name and also quite a few pounds of muscle, I will say, in his down. This man has bulked up. Okay. Yeah. He is uh he's gone he, super he is, sane. He has certainly gotten uh heavier during his uh his time away. So looking looking uh built here for his, this return. And Ortiz uses the mad ball, the best friends route with Cassidy, and then Phoenix is laid out in the ring. Now, correct me, I might have just missed it, but did they show the no. 
crowbar shot because I thought that they had missed like the key spot here was Phoenix is taken out by the crowbar and is out cold in the ring. Yeah, I mean, in, in the midst of like, I guess the con- the the chaos of of you know Ortiz coming out, Santana coming out, those guys brawling. You unfortunately did not get a f- clear view of Yuta delivering the crowbar shot to Phoenix. No, so it was Yuta that that hit. It him. was Yuta. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So, um, that's the big angle that in theory takes Phoenix out, and and Fightful had reported that Phoenix was not expected to be on the show due to a travel restriction. So he appears to be out of the match, and then. We have the announcers with the somber reaction to this horrible injury and Excalibur with his serious voice has to move on to the DraftKings ad read and the profits <laughs> that you can make. And the man, um, this was a tough transition to go from one mood to the next. Guys, this is just horrible. But yeah. DraftKings, as you covered, <laughs> like yeah. a phoenix rising from the ashes. It's no, DraftKings. Nothing will stop capitalism. No, no tragedy, no win ring beatdown. But they did announce later on that um, it's going to be a five on five match. So that is, yeah, and we have all the the participants. Santana and Ortiz were high on people's list uh, uh, in terms of being uh, two of the three mystery partners, and it turns out there will not be a third. So, um, yeah. and, and they were also very much promoting the stadium stampede mode that is available Thursday for the video game, and probably mm-hmm. um, the rationale behind uh, doing this match this week. Um, th- doing this match, sure. Or you mean doing Stadium Stampede? Itself. Doing Stadium Stampede. I would say the rationale for Stadium Stampede likely would have been just, you know, you're actually in a stadium uh, as well. But I mean, maybe this just happened to be. I like mean, a, it all complements each other. It's like good it helps synergy, that you're, you're pushing this match for this new downloadable content for totally, the show. Yeah, I thought the angle overall was like a good angle to write Phoenix off. Um, I. I mean, it sucks for the match. I mean, you're losing. Sucks. It sucks. You're for losing Ray like Phoenix. a great um aspect to this match like phoenix in a stadium stampede match but i mean it's it seems like this this was out of their control and it sucks for ray phoenix or anybody who you know for whatever reason wasn't able to appear on this this show i thought that they would have taken the opportunity to you know make set up another surprise partner for kingston and his team and then another one for bcc um they're choosing not to do that and maybe in terms of story it's a little bit cleaner just having santana and ortiz come in as your big surprises um I I don't know if it was so like they were trying to get a lot in here and I understand that they were against the gun, but at at the same time, it was like, you know, you you did have all this time to flesh this out a bit, but you know, Kingston's doing his best to look so despondent here. And I think that did require some explanation of like, okay, for like the guy's been gone a year. The other line in this was like, it's the former best friend, Santana and Ortiz was like the last time I saw these guys on TV, they were teammates. Like no, nothing on television explains like the, this falling out. Was that not in reference to um, them being Kingston's former best friends? I thought that the line was the former best friends, meaning the two of them being former best friends. But if they mean Kingston, then that's, yeah. that's one thing. I d- at least didn't like other than the two of them coming out with separate entrances. I guess I didn't really get any, any indication that they, there there was any on screen in story beef between Santana and Ortiz. And I would assume you you wouldn't get that um, if they're teaming up together. No. I- but. Yeah, g- given the AEW history between like Kinks or at least like everybody involved here, I like the idea of like, you know, Mox formerly being friends with Kingston and then um, Kingston, basically that friendship ruining um, for it, it, them ruining the friendship. And then Mox saying, well, I'm going to take your other best friends or former best friends and I'm going to make them hate you as well. So I, 
I, I like the combination of these. Renee is with, oh, and we get the stretcher job for Phoenix as well. And then Kingston, Kingston was great here. And he tells the camera to just get out of his face. And Renee shows up to try and get a word. And Kingston is just, really, really, you're doing this? Did you see what your husband did? And Renee's in this position where she's just trying to be the broadcaster. And it is her husband that uh, perpetrated this act. And Kingston says, what, you want me to fix it? In reference to the the line a couple of weeks ago that Renee gave that they not really followed right. up on. Remember when Renee got upset at Eddie Kingston to, and wanted him to fix this, and mm-hmm. he said he's going to fix this at Wembley. Right. So how is he? What what does that what does that mean? How is how does he intend on fixing this by beating the shit out of her husband? Um, I don't know. I guess he's, he's going to join the BCC. Like he's now got. Like a, he's, he's not going there to talk to him. You know. I don't know. I don't know what fix it means. Hmm. Maybe it means he's going to ride a horse in the stands like the video game preview. Like like maybe Terry Funk. That that's the Dude, he I, I mean that guy loved The Funk loved tributes Terry I'm Funk. sure will be pl- a plenty or like if there's any place to have them like a stadium stampede match I feel like might be. Yeah, who who's going to be the one that gets to wear the uh like the 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 tights, the red, white and black tight mm. tights. I'm sure they're all fighting over it. Then Renee interviews Sammy Guevara. We literally went from Renee backstage, and then it was earlier today, and Renee is with Sammy Guevara and asks why he came to Jericho's aid, and he gets approached by Menard Parker and Daniel Garcia, stating that Guevara explains that Jericho is just blinded by a friendship of over 30 years with Don Callis, and Parker explains, well, you should not be blinded by your friendship with Jericho. You're always there for him. He isn't there for you. And they walk off, and Garcia just stares a hole into Guevara and walks away. This, I would assume, is laying some sort of foundation for something at All Out involving at least uh, Sammy, maybe Garcia as well. Maybe they all come together to help Jericho, and they are now the reunited empire. Oh, interesting. Shivani hosts the contract signing. Uh, Osprey and Don Callis are out first, and he is followed by Chris Jericho with Sammy Guevara. Callis says he wants to end the career of the greatest of all time, that being Jericho. And he offered Osprey Jericho's head on a platter and threw away his 34-year friendship with Jericho as a result, picking Osprey over Jericho. And he brings up how a few years ago, Chris, you nearly died in England. And he will be in Osprey's corner this Sunday to make sure that the job gets done this time. I mean, taking a very, very real story out of uh, Jericho's history to um, uh, add some some heat to this match. And this was the thing that spurred his, um, I guess, this was where loss. yeah he he was hospitalized and yeah. led to yeah the the whole um, uh, body transformation that he he went through. But that was like December of. Uh, 2021 that he was over there for the the Fozzie concert and had to cancel those shows. Osprey gets on the mic and dude, this guy's promo was excellent. Amazing. He asks Jericho, are you taking this match seriously? Or is this some vanity project just so your band can play at Wembley stadium? This match is going to change my life and explains that he has a four and a half year old stepson. And the day before all in I'm wrestling on an indie, an indie. And you could hear Andy Quilden yelling, RevProOnDemand.com, RevProOnDemand.com, please, Will. He's like, I'm wrestling on an indie to make as much money as I can to support my stepson and put him through school, and I will become the only man to beat Omega, Okada, and Jericho within two months, and then 
My contract with New Japan is up in six months, and I will be worth millions. I'm the best wrestler in the world. I'm better than the elite. I'm better than Danielson. I'm better than Punk, and I'm better than you. And he respects what Jericho has accomplished, but it's all rocket fuel for my future. Uh, dude, Will Ospreay, this was this was right up there with his promo the night before the Kenny Omega match uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year in, in Tokyo. But man, was he excellent. Yeah, I mean, if this guy wasn't already going to be the hottest free agent come January, I think this promo completely amplified that stature to a whole new level because it showed that he's not just a guy, you know, and we all know this, like anybody who saw that promo, um, like for, in Japan, you know, uh, before uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. Um, any or, or just really any of his recent work recently, I think already knows this, but I don't know how much the general public would know this you know because i think to a lot of people he's still maybe a guy you know known for having six star rating rated matches in the observer and he's clearly not just that anymore he's a guy who can now talk and talk really well he's showing everybody that he's the full package and that's something that not only AEW can make a lot of money off of but obviously their competition as well so i would contend that this is probably the single most important promo thus far of will osprey's life you know given this the platform uh, and just given the quality of it, he told the audience who he was. He's a guy who beat Omega and Okada within a two-month span. Gave you his motivation, not just for this Jericho match, but for all of his wrestling matches. You know, he has to make money for a four-year-old stepson at home. And he also built up the stature of Wembley to a Brit, you know, and and, and also somehow promoted Rev Pro in the process. And this was all in two to three minutes. So he did a whole lot here and did a great job setting up not just the match, but himself. Oh, imagine Vex Calibre had to run down the... Uh... The Rev Pro card for Saturday night on top of it. Let me wait for Friday. Jericho has to respond to this. He doesn't think that Osprey would have accomplished all of these things without Jericho. He says, a few years ago, all these people were predicting you'd be in a wheelchair by the time you were 30. And this was this was a very real thing, a very you know legitimate concern that people had of Osprey. And Jericho called him. He cold called him five years ago, telling him to tone it down. I would have loved to have known how that started. Do you think he introduced himself first? He's like, hey, this is Chris Jericho calling, or is he getting right to the meat of the message immediately as Will picks up? Um, you know, I I don't know, maybe some some uh some some casual talk about um let it let's go to voicemail. Yeah. Maybe. Who knows? He says that without me, you wouldn't have had the longevity to become one of the top stars. And this match has been in the works for years. It was supposed to happen at Wrestle Kingdom in 2021. And now it's happening at the biggest show in history, the biggest show of my career. This is bigger than any WrestleMania, bigger than any Tokyo Dome. And I'm coming at it from the top of the mountain where every social media dipshit is predicting my demise. And Osprey, you need to be at your best to beat me. Prove it to your family. Prove it to your countrymen that you can beat Chris Jericho. And then Osprey knocks the microphone out of Jericho's hands. Jericho slaps him, and they have a big pull apart. And listen, you could certainly look like this was a program that had to be rushed, and you were limited by the fact that one half of this uh, program was off in the in the G1 for the last five weeks. Um, this segment I thought was tremendous. Like they um to me cemented this as one of the the key matches on the show. And you know, they're they're very much going for like certainly like Will is the home country star in this match, but they are I think they're going into this match with the idea 
the crowd goes one way, goes back and forth. Like mm-hmm. they just want to create a spectacle kind of atmosphere. And I, I think that they're going to achieve it. And well, I it's going to they... start off with Judas, right? And, and the, this entire 80,000 arena uh, stadium, it, you know, we'll be singing along to that song. And if could that's you, could not... you see this opening the pay-per-view because sure. of the, the, the Judas yeah, song and that's yeah. the big start. It, but, you know, I could. I, I think it would be successful really at any point. Um, But, you know, that sing-along, I think, in itself is going to be a big draw for this particular match. And that's going to be a big baby-facing segment for Chris Jericho. So, yes, like, you know, when they announced the match, I did have a concern about, like, how you could push a Will Ospreay as a heel against the babyface Chris Jericho. But I'm more of the opinion that it'll, it'll probably be a double babyface thing. Um, unless Osprey, of course, goes in there and maybe joins in Don Cal- with Don Callis and cuts some sort of like, you know, anti-England promo, which I don't see being successful nor happening. No, I, I hope they don't uh, fight that. I think they've they've set the mm-hmm. table well, and I think they're going into it with like, however the crowd reacts, they react. And I yeah. think you're, you're, you're not going to have an indifferent crowd. And that's ultimately the goal of this one the point like the only ingredient that's required is motivation for both men and they both establish theirs in a segment like this i thought this you know off of a great really strong will osprey promo jericho i thought was also on top of his game cut a really great veteran go home promo expressed the personal importance of this particular event to him this is something i think i wish I almost wish every ex WWE wrestler was saying in the month leading up to all in talking about how this is more important to them than any other WrestleMania, any other Tokyo Dome really build, build up this the is bigger idea. than any rock and rager at sea. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, man. Those are some, that's another, those are some big ones, but um, like convey to an audience who might not be listening to a podcast like this, just how big of a deal the event itself is, you know, and it's not just about, yeah, yeah, you, you should be telling people 80,000, but like more importantly than talking about 80,000, talk about how it's bigger than a WrestleMania. It's bigger than, you know, like big events that I think people completely understand and, and, and have sort of like reference for. So they did a great job here, like building this up from what I, I, I sensed a lot of, um, to a lot of people it was a bit of a disappointing announcement in prior weeks but now i i'm really looking forward to it darby uh we go backstage uh first renee is doing her sit down with adam cole and this was interesting she goes to the highlights and it's all the clips of the two of them getting along and laughing and the stuff out of the ring as well as in the ring and none of the tension like she had shown to mjf and cole says he thinks the world of max professionally uh but appreciates how he's helped Adam find himself and who the real Cole is uh, coming back from his injury. And he got into wrestling to be the best and he's won lots of titles, but the AEW title solidifies you as the best wrestler on the planet. I don't want to win this match. I need to win this match and I will. And then the issues involving Roderick strong and the kingdom are brought up by Renee and she shows more clips here. And these are all the clips of Cole nearly turning on MJF, all these different points when he had the chance to, and then either MJF caught him or Adam Cole thought twice. And Cole is getting very disturbed by this. And he just snaps. He gets up. He's going to walk out on the interview and says, why can't people process that our friendship is real and he yells into the camera there are no issues between me and max and that's how things end so you're leaving this with the idea that um that adam's 
that Adam is the, is the one here that you are mm-hmm. more suspicious of. Yeah. Um, I thought it, it was certainly, I almost felt it was a little heavy handed how much they were trying to lead you towards thinking Cole will be the one who who's turning because, you know, he, he snapped here. He's the one kind of expressing mm, like sort of um, dishonorable quality here against poor Renee. Um, See, I think I, at the level that they are thinking about, and this might be overthinking to a degree is that they're making it so heavy handed that mm-hmm. everyone's believing, okay, they, it really is going to be MJF that turns on this guy. Like, I think that is what they are thinking of here. It's the sure. Honestly, we can think ourselves into any possibility. Like they could do whatever they want. And because I, I think of the variance of like what, what exists within professional wrestling angles, some of us are going to overthink it. And a lot of us are going to under underthink it and whatever, like bottom line are we interested am i continuing to maybe guess who who's who's going to turn i think at least for me the answer is yes um the type of like maybe line i really appreciated that was just a little bit more subtle was when he said you know they continue to hammer home like he's reminded me who the real adam cole is and that of course you know could be a line indicating him returning to his true nature of being a heel overall i thought this set of interviews was really good to just not only put the spotlight on this main event but to remind the audience of the of, of the scene so far that uh that were relevant and to Again, continue to play to play with the audience's sort of like expectations of who might be heel and who might be babyface. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Okay, we have a lot to unpack from this tornado tag match, okay? Darby Mm. Allen and Nick Wayne against Swerve Strickland and A.R. Fox, with uh, Nick Wayne's mother in the front row. And A.R. Fox comes out and he's wearing the bloody shirt that they took from Nick Wayne after they trespassed to his wrestling school, left him in a bloody mess after taking a photo of his dead (laughs) father and busting it over his head. Okay, let's just keep every let's keep in context here with what's going (laughs) on here. So um, there was some spectacular stuff, as you can imagine, in a tornado match involving these four. We saw a double Wayne's World to the floor, then a coffin drop by Darby onto both Swerve and Fox. They fight into the crowd. Nick Wayne's nose is all bloody, and he's dragged in front of his mother, who was great here in reacting to her just horror at what her son was being put through. Uh, there's a double team neckbreaker on Wayne, and Darby makes the save, and then Swerve is placed onto the chair on the floor. And then Darby gets nailed by Fox. They seat down Darby on the chair and is hit with a swerve stomp. And then it's just kick out after kick out by Nick Wayne. Fox finally misses with a 450 splash. And uh, Nick is able to catch him with kind of a European clutch and pins uh, Fox in nine minutes and 55 seconds as Darby holds on to swerve. And then we got into all of the post-match. But let's just park it there. What did you think about the match? I thought it was a really good match. I think of a similar caliber and style to what you've been seeing as of late with um, uh, Nick Wayne, Darby Allen team up um, spectacular and uh, AR Fox and 
Swerve are a great tag team, and I think the legacy future, tag team like they could go on years. Oh, their future is really bright. I think you know they can win the tag titles. They can have a great run. So Swerve starts laughing on the microphone, and he calls Ar Fox disappointing. How do you blow every opportunity you're given? Why are you such a loser? And he ex- he explains to Fox, this was a test. You couldn't even beat an 18-year-old child. How can I trust you in this match and trust you in front of 80,000 people? You can take a shot. And thus, Prince Nana fires A.R. Fox, who is then attacked by Brian Cage as Fox is hit with the drill claw. And I'm watching this, and I think everyone is thinking, oh, man, there's some issue where A.R. Fox cannot be part of this show and thus he is being written off of the match. Darby and Nick Wayne return with Sting and the place goes nuts to see Sting and Darby tells A.R. Fox, you changed my life and I'll never forget that and I'll always credit you with that and Darby extends his hand. A.R. Fox accepts the gesture and they are helped up and Darby says, I love you and they hug and Nick Wayne is like, this guy was just wearing my bloody shirt that he threw at my mother after breaking into my school. And we're cool. We're cool, I guess. Well, listen, um, people have short term memories in professional wrestling and it's a very black and white world. Okay. You're either with me or against me worn the bloody shirt tonight could that have been maybe the way to go well i mean <laughs> what there was a lot of forgiveness is... here on behalf of nick wayne okay to just well, accept yeah. this guy that's what the bible the preaches and then allow this guy into the match with them well listen he's a good guy okay why hold on to a grudge any longer than you need to okay this guy crossed state lines to break into his wrestling school and bust his head open with a photo of the man's father. Oh, and Darby retaliated. Okay, they they interfered uh, at, at Swerve's or sorry at Fox's uh, indie show, and now they're even. Okay, and, and and I mean Nick Wayne, I'm sure he'll buy him like you know um, Waffle House later, and uh, all will be okay. So now we've adopted Ar Fox onto the Babyface team, so they have four. And Fox and Brian Cage, or sorry, uh, Swerve and Brian Cage are two. And they're asking, who do you guys have? So I guess Swerve had already hired his backup. He was ready for this. He knew this is how this was all going to be and that Fox would be forgiven and brought into their team and they would need two more. Okay, so I'm guessing you didn't miss You missed the match announcement? What match announcement? So like, so the... It's still a tag team match, but it's Christian and Swerve as the team now. It's Christian and Swerve. Yeah. Oh, okay, I did yeah. miss this. So, yeah. so, so they exchanged one cage for another. I came out of this where I thought we were we were up to four on four. We introduced I all these other people. I completely feel the same. I thought it was a bit of a confusing segment, um, at least in that sense, because yeah, like you had, you know, I guess traditional wrestling storytelling tells you, okay, this Brian Cage attacked Ar Fox, you know, um. So I'm assuming it's 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 Swerve and Brian Cage versus you know Sting and Darby, and then so like, Air Fox like, is off of the show. So he is off the show. Yes. Okay. It seems. Sorry, this was. I I'm sure there's some extenuating factor that they had to get to this, but man, this was a mess. I thought I just it was messy. Was, yeah, this was so confusing. The fact that I'm taking notes, dude, and I didn't know what the match was by the end of it. 
No, completely. I'll completely. take some of the blame for that. I did miss no, the graphic. I mean, I, I was just as confused as you until they showed this graphic. You know, um, I didn't think it was necessary for Brian Cage to appear appear at that in the way that he did. I think it would have been more effective if you had Luchasaurus, perhaps. Do, but then, then people might have, might have assumed Luchasaurus was going to join the team. Anyway, I also hate the dissolution of Ar Fox with Swerve. Like I, I hate dude, it. like he turned like weeks ago and. I know. Like as a he was fine as a baby face, but he was just a guy as a baby oh. face. This was a great role for him yeah. in the mogul embassy. I don't I don't know what the purpose was other than you got him out of the match. You could have injured him, but obviously they want him out of the group like they certainly yeah. could have done something to eliminate him. Agreed. In another agreed. way. Yeah. So again, like, you know, um, Tony um, basically said that there would be changes to the card coming to, to Dynamite. We can uh, on Dynamite. We can only assume that this was one of the two that we saw tonight. Very disappointing for AR Fox for whatever reason, if he's unable to make this match. Clearly the biggest, you know, oh, match. Yeah. Of I leaps life. and bounds like this guy will probably never have an opportunity to be oh, at, at yeah. the size Got of the it. crowd before. I mean, that that's gutting but beyond that uh, losing this role in the mogul embassy i think really it's, it's a double whammy it's not just losing the show it's like you've lost your I, I think you've lost your push like even if they come back with a feud out of this i just think it's man you had so much to those two were just gelling and you had just gotten this off the off the ground you've extinguished like the the heat to the ar fox character and and that's somebody who you know like feels like he he he's un he's pissed off and and now it, it you know it, he could i hope he still finds that fire somehow obviously like um clearly they they see uh, plenty of talent and he's really impressed i would say in all these matches in the spotlight over the past you know month um but man like extinguishing the darby feud and taking him out of the mogul embassy i i wonder if they needed to do that because i really feel like his presence almost completed the mogul embassy to me you know he he was a guy with story that you know swerve can also have to use against um nick wayne and darby and i hope they have a good reason for why they cut this off so quick so christian and luchasaurus come out and christian introduces himself to nick wayne and says i understand you have a father that has died and the whole crowd is just groaning they're like oh my god Mm. he says well I've heard he's a pro wrestler, but I never heard of him. So he must not have been any good. And a talentless hack like that, there's not a lot that you have to live up to. And he warns him that this Sunday, if you come to Wembley in this coffin match, it's going to be deja vu with you watching the coffin door shut on someone you love. And the whole crowd starts chanting asshole. And then Christian says, if you play it right, I'll be there as your mentor afterwards and calls himself the TNT champion. Now you can certainly debate the, uh, the the level, and I do hope it's not just using the father for every Nick Wayne program. I think it's going to get very um, very lazy. Um, I do have to say though, Christian, it was an excellent heel promo, and this audience yeah. was just repulsed by him. And uh, you don't have to be ashamed about it, John. Like I mean, this is the character. He, you know, like he. Uh, I guess it is, but I'm just saying, like we're go- we've gone from one program where Buddy Wayne was the focus, and I just I don't want it to be just the crux of every Nick Wayne program right. that we're just going to use this it's, for easy heat. But it's at this point, it, like 
it was a very effective promo for establishing it's the main source of his identity and he unfortunately happens to be uh up against a guy who kind of has made his name in AEW for insulting people using their dead parents you know with the jack perry feud of course so um christian did not disappoint here i i god damn i thought this was this was i'm sure darby's willing to forgive him though give him a week he'd be okay (laughs) well listen a hug solves everything FTR and the Young Bucks. So this was a sit down with Renee in the back. So we did get all four out in in the arena, but they decided not to do this face to face in the ring. And I think the setting probably worked better for what this would not have done well in an arena setting for. Uh, yeah, give. I mean, it would have been Cash's first in ring promo since all the news, and I wonder how. Well, I just think for for such a dialogue heavy segment as this was, I think it would have been really tough with a live crowd uh, behind them, even discounting the the cash stuff, which you might have gotten cat calls or taking people's attention away uh, with that. So they take the segment and FDR says that they have not been coming to the Bucks aid recently because they like them. They just don't want any excuses at all in. They acknowledge that it's the biggest match of their careers. And Nick cuts in stating that, you know, we're made guys. We don't need to win this match. Whereas you guys need to win this to put yourselves in the history books. And he adds, and I feel very strongly about that. dude. I thought Nick, that was like the best line of this whole thing. Like just such a cocky demeanor uh, behind him. And Dax, his reactions were just like, man, I can't (laughs) believe he said that out loud. And dude, Cash was like a mute here. Like he had one line and then he was silent for the rest of this. So Harwood did most of the talking for FTR. He says, the only thing that stands in the way of our legacy is the Young Bucks. And Matt says, listen, before you just go on and on about feeding your family, let's remember how you're able to feed your family with what we brought, what we created here in AEW. Matt says the fact is that when we decide to hang up our sneakers, we're going to finally get our flowers and everyone is going to admit that we were the best tag team ever. Whereas when you guys are done, they're going to remember you as the guys that we named on our YouTube show. And Dax is just, oh man, I can't believe it. And Dax says that they are the your, foundation. Your Dax sounds a lot like Jim Ross. Well, it's <laughs> I'm working. It's 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 a long ways away, and he's going to break their foundation in front of eighty thousand people. And Cash just like nodded. He's like, he's gonna keep it to, keep it to Dax. And that that was the segment. So I mean. I don't care how the Bucks come across this. They're not going to be heels in front of this crowd. It's just going to be an audience going nuts. And the promise that like realistically, like this is maybe the number two match on the show in terms Mm. of um, like, I would say, honestly, like you, you like Adam Cole and MJF seems pretty solidified to go on uh, last, but this in many ways, like Osprey and Jericho certainly, I think up the ante of of their match, but this is as pretty, pretty big match for the show. I agree. I mean, I think you could maybe suggest Stadium Stampede just maybe based on um, the name value of the match type. And, you know, maybe that might um, have, have a bit of a shot at being the second most interesting match on the, on the card. But I would say this is like probably the one match on the show that has that probably didn't require any significant build. You know, it was the type of Osprey Omega announcement or, or an Okada Danielson announcement that I think you could have just like you know put out there um that's no excuse though for i mean you know maybe um not pushing certain elements of this that i think they could have done better um i i think 
the entire match here has been built on like a double babyface basis. And as a result, we've not really seen any sort of building of tension other than maybe in the last portion of this particular interview segment with, with those lines from Matt, Matt Jackson. But I, I, I think the match itself is more so built on the legacy of what they've established so far. And the idea that whoever is going to win this trilogy is going to somehow like, you know, be the best tag team in the world. I, I feel like they, they could have done a little bit more like to tell us the story of their history, you know, just to maybe tell us like what happened in the first two matches, you know, tell us about the history of these two dating back to all the way from being the elite. Um, I, we've had, you know, interactions in the form of these sort of like run-ins and saves. And I don't know how much ultimately all of that served to explain the legacy of this to somebody who might not be aware. Yeah. I think that this is one where I think they're somewhat coasting on the idea that it's just, it's the rivalry. It's one, one, and we're having the deciding factor and it should be this incredible match. And there's going to be some that demand more out of, um, well, then tell the story of, of the trilogy. Well, for them, I mean, maybe they they just figure like it, it almost ex- explains itself. Like this feels like the program that they felt the most comfortable of just presenting, and there's very little more we we need to do for it. And there's pros and cons to to that thought. I I do feel like this is going to be like everyone on this card. Like this is pretty much for everyone. This is like the biggest match of their careers that they are going to be looking to go out and have that classic match that is ultimately going to be the match that is most remembered for this match. Like you have this audience that um, like, they're all going to want to go out and have their version of like the Savage steamboat. Like that's what they want to replicate. Mm-hmm. Made a video for uh storm and Soraya against Hikaru Shida and Britt Baker for rampage on Friday night. And that was our plug for, for Friday. Ruby Soho took on sky blue and uh, Ruby Soho has her eyes set on Chris Statlander, which is not happening on Sunday, but I'll assume it's probably happening the next weekend. You would think I would assume so. Yeah. Soho uh, attacks sky blue as her inset promo is airing. And I don't know if it, this seemed to be like a TSN issue, but they had some crazy. Problems. Oh, it happened on fight as well. It did Black, happen on like fight. blackouts. Yeah. You had different blackouts and the sound went down, but then when we would go to commercial break, the audio of the commercials would air while an AEW Dynamite logo was on the screen. And this happened for multiple commercial breaks. So you couldn't see the commercial, but you could hear the commercial. And that, I assume, was a TSN. Interesting. So they they couldn't do the picture-in-picture. There was a few picture-in-pictures. In the main event, it just went straight to a a normal commercial break, and we did see it. Okay. Interesting. Weird. Um, Anyway, the match went seven minutes, 15 seconds. They were trading a lot of covers. Like The audience was not as engaged in this one. There was a Skyfall onto Ruby for a two-count, and then Soho makes her comeback with the no future, followed by Destination Unknown to get the pin and to hammer home the point. She looked into the camera, and she has her eyes on Chris Statlander. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's... In front of 9,000 people is what she... <laughs> I think it's kind of impressive that they still managed to find time to, you know, build a bit of uh, for all out um, in such a busy show that had to do so much heavy lifting as a go home show for all in. But ultimately, we're going to be here next week and we'll be talking about how effective this build has been for all out because we don't have have any issue with them going into this pay-per-view with all out in the structure that it is now like we have i think two matches announced for all out like, like do i have an issue just like do you think they should have done more or do you think that would have been too much like confusion to be uh, having like your top the, matches 
Well, for whatever reason, he like they decided to pair these two events back to back. I mean, cl- clearly was not ideal because I, I think it probably harmed both um, events in in a bit of a way. It certainly hasn't maximized you know interest in in both with the two of them being so close. So I don't think they've done a great job um, building all out. Certainly, uh, two weeks out, but. Um, it's not their priority or at least it's it's not as big of a priority at least for now as Wembley Renee is with Roderick Strong in the kingdom um Roderick Strong not in a wheelchair or anything so when he kicked the car last week he um I guess his foot is okay and he says that at the end of all in we're gonna find out who the real MJF is and we're gonna find out who the real Adam Cole is Mm -hmm. yeah nice teeth they re-aired the House of Black video where they uh, they destroyed Daddy Ass's boots. So the acclaimed, they were like, okay, we watched this video on Collision. We are not watching it again tonight on Dynamite. This is it. They stormed out to the ring, and they get on the mic. No more fun and games. They're calling out the House of Black, and they want a fight. So the lights go out. The House of Black come out. It's a three-on-two attack. Um, Brody King has a chain wrapped around his fist. When the acclaimed's music hits, and out comes... Daddy ass. He has made his return, doesn't have his wrestling boots on. And he comes in and says, well, now you have my attention. I was okay leaving my great career behind, but then you guys jumped Max and Anthony. You busted open Max, and then you destroyed my boots and broke down a legacy of 32 years. It's like, Billy, that's that's not how you destroy a legacy. I, I don't think they died with your boots, but uh, obviously very symbolic for this man who, um, nonetheless, he says that I have done things that will go down in history in this industry. I'm a Hall of Famer, and you pissed all over it. So he says, one more time, all or nothing, and I'm going to take everything from you. But unfortunately, daddy ass can't make the trip, and you honestly heard some grow like the audience was like oh him too he can't go to england what's going on and he says but there's another guy who can and there's a badass coming to london and his name is monty sop billy gunn <laughs> is coming to london. i thought i thought uh maybe we'd get the one. Oh man a, a shogun's reunion what if tony khan has secured ass man for wembley that one might be a bit harder to come by. Tougher. What if yeah. Elton John covered Ass Man? Um, so I actually, so he actually had his retirement tour last month. So um, I don't think that's happening. Nor is uh, Saturday nights. What if he comes fighting. back for one time, all or nothing? Okay, <laughs> they take Elton John's uh, platform shoes and they're put into a compactor, and then Elton John storms out at Wembley. And it says, "Well, it's, if it, yeah." If there's anything that can get Elton John out of retirement, it would be the House of Black, I'm sure. That would be it. Uh, this is a good setup. I mean, you knew this was the direction it was going, and it was only a question of which show this would land on. And personally, like, I, I think having an acclaimed rap on, on this show is mm-hmm. a, a pretty cool thing. that you and, and doing the, like, they should win these titles, even if it's not a long run, and then you get the scissoring at the end of the, the match. I don't know. I, I kind of like House of Black keeping the championships you know oh, th- this is so easy way like they they should absolutely win this one why they can lose they can lose the belts in in three weeks uh, th- this is like a giant pop for the end this has been the whole story it's you get like giant pops on the other finally on the, winning on the third you get, try 
I mean, uh, I, I think that they could still win the tag team championships. You know, I, I think the house of black is just so like, there's such a money team, you know, and I think you have so much more that you could do with them with an uninterrupted run uh, beyond maybe Max Caster's rap. You know, I think an 80,000 plus arena full of people with a house of black entrance with their cell phones out. I think that's going to be amazing. Then we had the rundown for collision. So for Saturday night, and this is being taped as we speak, the eight-man all-star tag team is CM Punk, Darby Allen, Sting, and a mystery partner taking on Brian Cage, Luchasaurus, Jay White, and Swerve Strickland with Samoa Joe on commentary. Orange Cassidy, Eddie Kingston, and Penta against Butcher, Blade, and Kip Sabian. Jack Perry, who gave the FTW title um, two extra hours of existence, will retire the title. And we will hear from the stars in London. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Clips. I'm trying to look up who this uh, mystery partner is. Okay. Well, if you see it, um, do, do yeah. share. I um, don't know if the, the match might not. Well, it, sh- it should be pretty close to uh, main event time by. Hmm. This, okay. Well, this maybe point. we'll find out by the end of this. And you know, we will give a spoiler warning. So, okay. All right. And then Aussie Open against the Hardys for the ROH tag titles. It was your final match of the night. Uh, chance for the Hardys, delete chance. They're fighting on the floor around the ring. They come back. We've got about four minutes left, or so we thought, but Tony Khan paying for that, that overrun. They get the heat on Jeff. He hits a whisper in the wind. In comes Matt. They hit a superplex splash combo. Davis is in for the save. And then Fletcher just hits a powerbomb to Matt, and they hit a double-team cutter to Jeff. Clean win for Aussie Open, which is probably the right way to go here, setting them up for MJF and Cole on Sunday. And after the match, Davis tells the crowd in Georgia to shut up. And Fletcher explains that on Sunday, there will be no double clothesline, no kangaroo kick, and we will still be champions in this crowd where it's like, no, we want that goddamn kangaroo kick. So MJF and Cole come out together. They go face to face. They brawl. And then Aussie Open get the advantage, and they call for the double clothesline. But MJF jumps on the back of Davis. They then set up for their own double clothesline. Davis escapes. The people are pissed. MJF calls for the kangaroo kick. They're even more excited. And then Davis nails MJF, and MJF stops Fletcher from attacking Cole from behind, and he holds him for a super kick. Cole goes for the super kick, and as uh, Fletcher gets out of the way, MJF catches the super kick, and they go nose-to-nose. MJF holds up the belt and then walks off and he puts his ring on. And we continue to wonder, are they going to come to blows? But instead, Max puts the ring in his pocket and the two hug to end the show. Hmm. Good closing segment. You know, I I thought, uh, well, the match itself, I mean, um, I don't know if it necessarily got to a level that um, I'm used to seeing for an AEW main event, but I thought um, maybe it was. uh, I didn't think rush was anything special. It was a bit rushed, probably. You know, four of the minutes were a complete commercial break for me as well on TSN. But I thought the Hardys like looked pretty good, actually. You know, wrestling like this sort of like main event level, like Aussie Open type of pace. Um, They're not going to be on All In, and I. I don't know if now is really even the time. It seems like Jeff, you know, is still really kind of building himself back up. And really the team itself is really trying to build itself back up. So I don't have much of a problem with that, but a good showcase for Aussie open and great continued teasing of Adam Cole and MJF and their rivalry, you know, like having that um, sort of cliched, like holding your victim and then moving out of the way so that you might kick your own tag team partner was really the perfect thing for them to instigate a face-to-face and this crowd ate it all up. So all in all, I I thought this was a really good go-home show. This match is going to be something to watch that 
two of the loudest pops on the show are going to be for a pump kick and a clothesline. Yeah. Do we know what the kangaroo kick looks like? I'm sure it's just like a like a jumping like pump kick. I'm sure that's what it is. I guess yeah, that's I guess that's so. the intrigue. It's a mystery. Maybe it's, maybe it's going to be like some spinning roundhouse that he busts out or a spinning wheel kick. I I you know what? We'll have to tune in to find out. Here is your updated card for All In, which is now up to 10 matches. So we have one match announcement for the Zero Hour, which starts at noon Eastern on Sunday. Do you expect anything more to be added to this? Or do you think you just keep it to the one match on the pre-show? I think it's just this match. I mean, it sounds like um, they'll open because, I mean, they're they're trying to, like, bookend, you know, the entire event with uh, MJF and Cole. And for that reason, I don't see anything following this either. Unless, of course, it's some sort of battle royal, which I don't think you're missing on a show like this. No. Uh, FTR against the Young Bucks for the AEW tag titles. Um, just the way they've set this up, I I feel like FTR is winning this match. Um, unless they, like the way this was set up, it feels like this is the the big win for FTR. I think so as well. I think there's still, you know, a lot to do with this run for FTR. Um, Bucks certainly I, I would suggest maybe neither team needs the championships, but I think the Bucks need the titles a lot less than FTR does. I, I hope they continue to establish this run and, um, you know, defend it on collision. Hikaru Shida, Tony Storm, Soraya, and Britt Baker, the four-way for the women's championship. Um, I guess the obvious one here is like, if you had any intention of a Soraya title reign, mm-hmm. this is the time to do it, even if it's a very short title reign. I mean, that would yeah. be... Um, th- this would be the time to do it. I think Tony Storm, I love this new character. She does not yeah. need this title in the least. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. I think if you're going to crown Soraya at any point in her AEW career, um, this would be the evening. I mean, it'd be a huge babyface reaction, but like, so what? Like, you know, she'll she'll turn heel the next night um, on when, when she's back in America. Um, it would be a great moment, you know, so I, I would wouldn't. But I also don't don't just count like either Tony Storm winning it nor Hikaru Shida retaining it because I think they she she's only had the belt for what, like two, three weeks. You know, I, I'd leave it on Sheeta, but I mean, yeah. the, you, you you could also go the direction of Soraya wins this, and that sets her up with like the falling out with Tony Storm, who just loses her mind that her friend won the title, mm-hmm. and that's that's another, and, and you get a babyface run for Soraya a- after this. I think that's that's one possibility. But you're right, Sheeta, you could just keep on going with her. I guess Soraya is still, I think, a bit of a question mark when it comes to like you know singles match quality. We've only seen, I believe, that one match, right? Against Brit, is that the only singles match she's done? I, it it's might just be. hard for me to remember like any any significant one. And when you're in AEW, it's a really high level, especially if you're you know a woman woman's champion. So, do they have that confidence in her to actually hold the championship? I mean, we'll see. But it'll be a great moment if she does does win. Yeah, Darby and Sting against Swerve Strickland and Christian Cage. I think that um, I think that your baby faces are winning this one. I got to think so, too. I mean, unless, you know, Luchasaurus gets involved, of course, this is now really a prelude to Luchasaurus versus um, Darby Allen. Um, but I think I would give it to Allen and Sting. Yeah. I mean, they're really, you know, Tony Khan's kind of pushing now the fact that Sting is like undefeated in this AEW run that I see them. That's there for a reason. And mm-hmm. like, ultimately, I think like this Sting run 
at some point you should do him going for the for the title for one big match and that's where you cash in like an undefeated streak or something like that when you have the right champion to go for um but it also you want to work i think that into like when the final run of his career is going to be and it sounds like they don't really know when this guy wants to wind it down i mean 64 is like the new 40 oh my goodness yeah i mean it's <laughs> this guy will be diving off of balconies into his uh, senior citizenship uh, years. I'm sure. Uh, thank you. Uh, chat room. They're reminding us that Soraya beat sky blue to qualify for the four way. So that was another singles match, but pretty. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for like, yeah. When yeah. I say singles match of like, like a pay-per-view level, like extended love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the golden elite go Kota Ibushi, Kenny Omega and hangman page against Kanosuke Takeshita, juice Robinson and Jay white. Um, you know, I think like given the the size of this this venue and the like you kind of lean towards like feel good wins. I think this is one where if you're going with Omega and Takeshita, I think I, I think Omega taking a loss here is fine if that's where you're going the next weekend with mm-hmm. the match in Chicago and you do want to have some heel wins on this show, and this would be one that I would I would look at as having that potential. I agree. I agree. Um, you know, maybe beyond like oh, Takeshi to being the one to pin Omega, which probably would be the, like the better finish. I mean, clear. I, I hope this means they're building up to Jay White versus Kenny Omega as well. I mean, they have to be after the attack angle last week, right? So, uh, wherever they decide to do that match, I'd argue that match is bigger than Takeshi versus Omega. Um, but um, I'm sure you've the- been doing the program for so long with Takeshi, yeah. you need to yeah. pay that one off. Agreed. First. Agreed. Yeah. Stadium Stampede. I. I, this one to be like the, the outcome of like the winners is irrelevant. I'm just more curious of how they pull this one off. Like what is in the stadium versus uh, pre-taped stuff. Um, how the audience responds. If there's stuff that, I mean, you have enough p- people that you can have, you can have people going on in the stadium while you uh, j- mm-hmm. just the way that this is shot and aired on television and conversely in the stadium for, for everyone. That's where my interest is more mm-hmm. so in this one rather than um, the, the booking of this one, because certainly there are a lot of uh, different outcomes that you can go with here. And this is probably one of those matches that I'm sure Pack was going to be heavily featured into this program with the walkout at uh, Blood and Guts and you know yeah. just all the changes this one has undergone. Well, if they're going to do a cinematic match, maybe there's an opportunity to, to, for somehow Phoenix and Pack to pre-tape something and, <laughs> and having great, that put, put Phoenix in front of a green screen. An AI version of Phoenix and Pack having you know uh, uh, some interaction inside a, a room. I don't see really any cinematic elements for this. It just doesn't seem like, um, like you know, they've had instances uh, where they could have done that with with moxley and it, it just doesn't seem like something he'd be willing to do you know i i or, or he'd he'd want to do i see this being very much like an anarchy in the arena you know like what if he setting. what if he does a cinematic walk to the ring and he like takes a big hit out of a blunt on his way to the ring um um yeah that is what are laws like goes- in england i don't know i'm not sure maybe he'd have to tape it in amsterdam well he has an out he can just say that was filmed in uh you know, amsterdam <laughs> that's right yeah i mean as if this guy could look any cooler so i'm looking forward to this man like um what and i i I would use it to give a lot to our santana or ortiz you know as as guys that are just kind of coming in and if you want to make a big splash with either of them having them feel like the spotlighted you know figures i i think would be great yeah you've got the kingston claudio uh build up for this one i think that cassidy and moxley i think you could 
certainly expect that for all out as, as a potential way to go mm-hmm. in, in this whole thing. And it, as much as like, I don't think they get a, enough kind of focus. Like, dude, the best friends are always great in these yeah. situations. I think they are so consistent. And again, it's like, everyone's going to just have like their working shoes on and then some in a lot of these big matches. And you know, for, for Santana, like, dude, this guy had a whole year plus that he has been out and he's coming back on this kind of a platform. And he put up a message tonight and just indicated like, it was like, he said, like, I'm going to share my story at some point, but it was like, a really rough um, time off, which I'm sure it was for uh, that amount of time uh, for him. So that's like, you're being thrown right into the deep end here on the way back. Will Ospreay against Chris Jericho. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to this one. I know that, um, you know, some, some people have been uh, critical of this one, but man, I think that this is going to be certainly if you're, you're getting the, the level of, um, of a Jericho that we had, seen throughout last year um and for such a big match here i'm also interested to see how he works here with a will osprey like this is not this is going to be a different match than you saw with like will and kenny omega but i thought they did a as effective a job as you could on this go home segment tonight well it could very much be like jericho versus omega perhaps you know like you'd expect jericho i mean it'll be interesting because like in that most instances you're getting chris jericho as a heel against a high flyer and how will they work this match with Jericho supposedly playing a baby face? Will he still take control throughout most of the match, slow things down in order to set up a Will Ospreay kind of comeback? Um, that part is, is going to be a little bit interesting. But anytime you have Will Ospreay on any show, it's a potential match of the night, maybe match, even match of the year. I'm not not necessarily expecting this one to be better than, you know, um, Osprey Naito or, or Osprey Omega, but it could be up there and and could certainly be one of Chris Jericho's best matches in his entire career and and with the setting as well. Um, yeah, I'm not sleeping on it. I think a lot of the reaction we saw was because of heightened expectations from a lot of people hoping to see the next chapter of, of Omega versus Osprey. And now we're kind of like a, a week plus past that. We can enjoy this for what it is and i think certainly tonight's promo did a great deal of heightening my own interest do you see osprey winning you he this one i i think he has to he really does i mean yes i know callus will probably interfere somebody will interrupt maybe sammy will turn on omega uh, uh jericho but osprey has to win yeah yeah it's it's an interesting way to go of where they have potentially set this up for Jericho that he he loses this big match to Will Ospreay. He's divested himself of his group, save for Sammy Guevara, which could be like the last threat. It's like by the end of this, it's like Jericho is almost like detached from everything. Mm-hmm. And like there's like what he's ended the friendship with Don Callis. He's completely divested of everything at that point. Like he... Like it, it almost feels like like the the end of a of a Jericho, or at least like a the end of this or, version of Jericho. Perhaps, like yeah. perhaps he he disappears for a bit, or I don't know. But I could certainly see like I think Osprey should win this one, and um, yeah, yeah they, they it's a high bar. There's a lot of matches here that have high bars. CM Punk and Samoa Joe. Where do you think this one goes on the card? Early, middle, late in the show. I'm gonna say uh, middle, late. You know, like maybe not necessarily even second last, but towards the latter portion of the show. Honestly, um, I I think like 
this is essentially collisions main event i would say um unless like if, if there's any even such a thing but like it's the biggest program that they're trying to build on collision so far and um for that reason i i see it getting like pretty late billing um they need like, a big segment on this collision like mm-hmm. th- this is one where if again it's a broken record if they had not done the previous match on tv I think this one is a lot more anticipated than it is. I think this is one that could certainly deliver. I don't think people are not looking forward to this, but yeah. I think it's one that it's really going to have to work for its placement. Cause I could see this one going out and getting like 20, 22 minutes. And I, I don't know how this audience will respond to a long match between these two. Um, yeah. If, if this is like late in the show on a four plus hour main card. I mean, it's CM Punk, you know, and, and it's Omo Joe, and it, it, like I, I see it. I don't see people like not giving this a reaction. Like people will react for for this. Um, how long they'll go? Um, how long do you think the match will be? Well, that's that's part of the question. I think this one should stay at around like fifteen, sixteen. Mm-hmm. I don't think they should be going like twenty five minutes. How long was their last one? Do you remember the? one on tv I don't, I don't recall off the top of my head i think it, it certainly has to best that one like it has to you know like at this point i don't think any of us are looking for for them to maybe uh have a matchup look like a 60 minute you know draw like you know like like in their roh which if this was their first aew match people would have that expectation that yeah. they're going to tease like the hour which i think based on the fact that the tv match was so much shorter you're not going into that with that expectation no but i mean this is i'm expecting to be better than what they they showed us um uh this is one where I mean, much like my my feeling about um you know FTR versus the Bucks, I feel that the the this even more so with this match where I think they there's so much story to tell between the legacy of their rivalry that they really didn't have it touched on yet. We saw a brief video sort of segment before their their last match on TV, but God, there's so much more, and I almost wonder if like the road to, um, you know, might be really worth watching when it comes to this particular match. They went 15 and a half on their TV match. So that's the comparison. And Mm -hmm. then House of Black against uh, the acclaimed and badass Billy Gunn. Uh, We we went over our picks there. I I see the title change here. I think it's a, that would be my call here. I think you're just going for the pop for the night. And I think it'd be one of the bigger ones. Um, But you think House of Black should just keep the belts. House of Black. Okay. And then MJF and Adam Cole. Yeah. Tough one. Um, I personally see Cole turning cole winning the championship yeah i think that that's that seems to be where you're leading everything to go in that direction i i see them losing the the zero hour match i don't see them winning mm-hmm. the tag titles yeah. um for this for this one i i guess i'm just looking at it from like what are you coming back with the next week are you doing a rematch between these two it seems like the mm-hmm. idea of a title versus title with punk like i i would have been dangling that one a lot that's more. not happening now it's i don't not think that one could just come out of the blue on a week's notice yeah um yeah um and may, maybe you maybe you come back with with the rematch between these two man for one week, like no though, one is i mean okay what's what's headlining so cole wins the title here what's what's the match the next weekend um yeah so yes i would expect cole to or this championship to be defended at all out um I got nothing, man, because like they're so invested in each other that it's hard for me to see them like, you know, face anybody but themselves because nobody's been built at the same time. um, 
the third match between these two and the match where a babyface MJF tries to come back and climb the mountain to beat Adam Cole, that's something you should, you know, spend like four months to build to. Don't you think they could, they could just have another match and then maybe have another draw or like some sort of non-conclusive thing. And then you have four more months to build to, you know, a, a proper comeback. Um, or it could just be punk's title that headlines and we'll, I guess, find out um, who will challenge him as well. Yeah. Do you see the main event of All Out being known when this show goes off the air? Or do you see them waiting? I feel like we should have a good idea, you know, especially with I hope so. Punk. Like I after the Joe match, you know, like, okay, let's assume Punk beats Joe, especially now since he has the championship. Um, maybe gets attacked by, I don't know, Jay, Jay White or whoever, you know? Like, seriously, if they both win, like, I would just, like, you could set up, like, Punk and Osprey for, for the next week. I mean, you have to go big for something the next week. And I would not mm-hmm. want to wait till Wednesday and have a four-day build for that title match. I would want to have it pretty much set up. Unless unless they have some, like, ace up their sleeve of something they're going to debut or shoot some big angle that none of us see coming that is... Like, that would be the hope, is that you're coming out of this show and you are instantly driven to buy that show the next weekend because there is some huge match that's coming out of this that maybe you, you don't see on on paper here so let's play out another scenario where mjf wins and, and retains you know whether as a baby face or whether as a heel i'm more curious about what you see his all-out program being well i i mean for for a lot of the, this lead up i i just assumed that we were going to be inching towards like the title versus title but that does not feel like the could they do that anyway and just maybe not give us a sort of like you know a, an actual title change I, I don't like it on a on a week where it like neither side have acknowledged the other it's not like you're even getting these lines from mjf about discrediting the fake champion on the other show or anything he's never even brought up this title and it just feels so out of left field that's but, going yeah. to be most of this card though you know, yeah, I mean, that's week. that's it. Like you you have a week to, to do all this and, you know, they can come back the next week. But I would hope that they've got some real great angle to go off the show with that is both satisfying as like the conclusion to this as the, as the big show, while also leaving you wanting more for the next weekend. And the idea of spending another 50 bucks the next week, it's like this or- is a it's an uncharted territory for AEW. And I don't know how this audience is going to respond to both shows. Or could these two win the tag team championships, the ROH tag t- titles and defend those on all out. Yeah, there's, there's certainly the idea that this has not peaked yet, that you could ultimately have these two where you think they're coming to blows, but then at the end of the show, um, they take out Roderick and the kingdom and they come out mm-hmm. of this and there's the tension because one of them's winning this match, but they're still tag champions, but the, the feud is still brewing and you know that the turn's coming, but you're going to wait and wait for it. And quite frankly, I think that would be a very safe way to come out of this show in that, mm-hmm. I would not want to separate these two yet. And you will get to the feud where you have a defined baby face and heel, but is, is now that time. It would seem the strongest argument is to give you that, that big advancement in the story on such a big show like this. Agreed. Agreed. Now that the more I, I talk about it, the more I feel like they, they could very well keep this thing going. And I don't know if like, you know, audiences might complain that we didn't get a conclusive ending on what is supposed to be supposed to be like the biggest show in history. But I think if the show, if the, if the match is satisfying, you should have a phenomenal match. And that's all that matters. I I think, I don't think people could be too disappointed for that reason. You're giving people a finish. I would certainly argue you should 
do a finish in the match. Of um, course. But, yeah. If but it's the like, main event. You don't have to punctuate this with a, with a turn. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, yeah. um, you know, that's, I think everyone's WrestleMania 17 lesson. It's like yeah. incredible show minus the angle at the yeah. end. For, so what we're saying is anything can happen in this main event. <laughs> well, I mean, part of it is, I think it's, it's the blessing and the curse. I think they have opened up a lot of possibilities that should draw interest at the same time, I don't think anyone sees really like a clear path that they're necessarily clamoring for. So you're you're leaving it to chance that hopefully whatever the direction is, it's a satisfying one. And people aren't just building up all these scenarios in their mind that they're creating a, a letdown for themselves after. But mm-hmm. I have to say, overall, I feel they've created a big buzz for this show. I think that the pay-per-view number is going to be a very interesting one to, to look at. Um because as much as some of the buildup has been maligned, I did think tonight's show, as busy as Dynamite was, the takeaway for me was this is the biggest show in this company's history. And they they hit that very effectively. Agreed. I thought this is, again, a very good go-home show. It's the type of tone that I wish they had taken for an entire month, you know, just to just to make this feel even that much bigger when you have that much more time to, to just convey that, Hey, like this really is the biggest show of all time. And that this is the reason why, um, now that we have draw to me, I think that's the bigger draw than any one match on this show is just mm-hmm. the idea that this is, this is historical. And for an audience that didn't live through a WrestleMania three, like that is what they're, they're treating this as. Yeah. Even though you get stadium shows every year from WWE, it's, it's like th- this mythical, um placement that a, a show of that magnitude has and this is AEW's version of it that you you want to be watching yeah wrestlemania already has that built in in its name you know just through like years of, of history and proof but um all in d- doesn't necessarily you know but so so they had they they definitely c- could have done a whole lot more work just kind of pushing what the legacy of this show is going to be after tonight beyond that um i think all the criticisms that this show um this card has has been given for the most part because i'm not listening to every single person uh, especially like the bad faith uh arguers out there but at least for me like i feel a lot of the criticism was warranted but now that we've kind of like um separated our dream cards from what the actual card is I can appreciate it for what it is. And I'm almost looking forward to every single match on this show. My last question for you, um, the, the all-time buy number for AEW, it's, it's all out 2021 with the first punk match uh, against Darby Allen, 205,000 buys. What do you see as the best case scenario for all in? Because this is so unproven with this being an afternoon show. Um, I and don't that's know. A, how- that's a big factor. I don't know how much, like, um, I have no idea, dude. Like, I don't think it'll beat that record um, because... I, I think, don't think so either. Because the afternoon, I feel like, will we'll take such a big bite out of it. But, I mean, AEW audiences follow, you know, wherever this company goes. How much of, of, of that audience, you know, is willing to maybe shift their timetable to watch a show in an afternoon? Probably a good chunk. So, like, I'm expecting this to do better than what? What? Tell me, like, what some recent numbers were, like, for for, for Bindor. Um, that was over. It, it was over 140 around that that range. Okay. Is what we're talking about for for Bindor. I'm I, I'm expecting maybe like better than that. I'm expecting like maybe in the 150 range, maybe even 160. Um, just kind of given the stature, but I, you know, you're probably a way better estimate than I would be. 
it's it's sometimes tough. You just don't know uh, like what's going to hit yeah, in the end. Like I I do sense like a lot of I think the buzz is there. I do don't too. You? I I certainly sense that, and I feel that's going to escalate in the coming days for sure. Mm-hmm. So I mean, th- there might be a higher ceiling than than maybe I'm putting on it uh, at this point because I'm it- kind of in the same range as you. And like, does that rate include like late buys? Are they doing delayed airings perhaps um, on pay-per-view for, I guess, I don't even know if that needs to happen these days with like VOD and, and all that. Yeah. I mean, how many people will buy this after it's live? Well, I mean, AEW has had some success of like well-received shows that do like replay buys that through that word of mouth. And I, I think you could chalk this up as one of those shows that if you miss, like, I I'm not concerned about the quality of this show. I think that that's oh, going to yeah. come out and I like you, you would have to have a lot of off nights for the show to not deliver. It's um, it's just how effective the promotion has been. And I, again, like I think above any of uh, one particular match, it's just the, the magnitude of what, what the show means for the, for the company and the setting of it being such a historic stadium. And that's going to be full. So let's uh, move on over. If you have any so, super chats. Just, just to remind people yeah. uh, who might be tuning in, some of you guys, maybe even for the first time, we will be reviewing AEW All In live Sunday. What time did we say, John? Or as soon as the show's over. So, I mean, it's up to AEW when we will be going live. So we will say in the, in the vicinity of 5 to 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. But easiest way, subscribe to the channel and turn on your notifications and you will be aware of when we are going live on a Sunday, late afternoon, early evening. Mm-hmm. All and right. the same for next weekend, right after payback and right after all out. And for every single show in eternity, we will be here right afterwards. Everything. We're just going to like, you know, chain ourselves to these uh, computers for the rest of our lives. All right. Super chats are open as is forum.postwrestling.com where I asked people for feedback to dynamite as well as memories of Terry Funk um, that we will get to. We got a super chat here from Matt Hahn who sends $5. Thank you for the support, Matt. He says, is there any update on Kyle O'Reilly? I've been wondering if he was going to play a part in this MJF and Cole feud. Yeah. I mean, he's been out for about a year or so. He had the, 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 the neck uh, surgery. So, I mean, that that's typically like a year or so. So I, I don't know what his latest status is, but certainly you would think like this program is a potential um, return for him that gets him right into a main event angle. Like he would fit in seamlessly with everything that's going on with Adam Cole. Yeah. But even if he wasn't like, as long as Cole is elevated, I think Kyle O'Reilly moves along with him because he'll always be attached to to Adam Cole, you know, throughout their careers. And wherever Cole finds himself out at the end of this MJF program, probably, you know, at a as world champion, you can insert Cole right in. So I don't even know if there's like a need to rush, you know, if his his rehab or, or, or comeback or anything. I certainly wouldn't expect him on Sunday. All right, let's go to Saeed from Vancouver. Really missing Moxley singles matches. Match of the night for me, I guess, referring to Phoenix. In my opinion, keeping the Ray Phoenix visa issues until after tonight would have been more impactful. Osprey and Jericho had a great promo promo off, which changed my mind on the match. Hell of a promo by Jericho, one of his best in a while. Rest in peace, Terry Funk. We get Andrew from Cape Breton who says, while this build has been lackluster, I thought that tonight was an excellent go-home show for All In. Osprey and Jericho made the show feel important, as did the final scene with how pumped MJF and Cole were. They also did a great job with the stadium stampede match. I'm somewhat confused about Air Fox, though. 
Firstly, I'm not sure if Nick Wayne and Nick's mom are as forgiving as Darby Allen. Yeah, well, he couldn't wait to just <laughs> let bygones be bygones. Yeah, he probably just said, "I'm sorry." Okay, sometimes that's all it takes. Secondly, if they wanted to bring Christian in, I'm sure they could have made it a trios match and added Nick Wayne on Sting and Darby's side. I'm wondering if he wasn't able to go to the UK because if it's not, not it's a real shame Fox doesn't get that spotlight and is being replaced. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? L- the fact that they didn't decide to make it a trios match. I mean, I, d- I don't know what the status is of like everybody in this match. Like, I'm right. I would feel pretty confident that AR Fox, it's not just a strict booking decision that we want him off the match. Like, it felt like it was extremely like th- this came out of uh, c- completely out of left field. There were no hints towards this. So it felt as though um, they're that they were just their back was against the wall to make uh, what to me was a very awkward shift in everything. And again, like they do have a pay-per-view the week after. So I, maybe you can expect, you know, presence from Fox and also Nick Wayne on that show. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, like I'm not, if, if AR Fox, he was the one tied to the story. It's like, I'm not, I'm not dying to have Brian cage uh, attached to this and just to have Nick Wayne in there as well. Like Nick Wayne's right. part of the story, but I, I don't know. I wasn't as uh perplexed over that it was more so just the it, it was a very confusing segment and they probably had their their reasons that they had to try and do the mental gymnastics here to get to this tag match all right next up is uh scott from atlanta and says that the crowd was hot all night and more crowded than a uh, one year ago in the same building so he was at the arena tonight in uh, duluth georgia after dynamite went off the air mjf and adam cole led the crowd in a rendition of the devil came down to georgia Tony Khan then came out and just left the stage discussing this as the biggest week in AEW history and suggesting that Atlanta was key to the launch of AEW due to TNT and TBS being here and hinted that Atlanta would get a pay-per-view soon. Good old Jim Ross is on his way to ringside. Time for a time warp to Saturday. Most of the crowd seems to be sticking around. Lots of curiosity and doubt that CM Punk is here, but also discussion that the elite were done by 8.20 PM and might've headed out here after that. Thanks as always. So yeah, you, you have to have shifts you, for these double tapings. You I have mean, to clock we, in and clock out by a certain time, maybe. We could speculate, can't we? Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, I I found out his partner. Uh, by the way, should, should, I don't need to say to share. It's it's a collision. Tech. Okay. Uh, spoiler warning. Uh, to fast forward fifteen seconds. Uh, it's it's hook. Okay. That's it. Right, Jordan from the Bronx. <laughs> what drama? First things first, rest in peace to Terry Funk, a legendary career that often gets overlooked by fans. I wasn't old enough to appreciate his stuff in WCW, and I didn't have the access to watch his work in Japan. ECW was my first exposure to him, and I always appreciated how hard he worked there. AEW in general has too many things happening at once. Last week was Fight for the Fallen, which was a last-minute decision for a good cause. This week is Fighter Fest, in which most of the show was talking. <laughs> I guess I guess that is that is it. All in is Sunday. All out is the following week. There there may be some diminishing returns. Um, I mean, those are just titles, right? I mean, for, for a go home show, like yeah, it it should be a promo heavy show. To be quite honest, like that, I, I didn't have a big issue with that. He's like po- you can, he's pointing out the sort of irony of a show called Fighter Fest being mostly okay, talking, well, but anyway. it's I mean, they're just was this any different than a dynamite? Like I don't even look at these titles. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And like, uh, there's no way we could complain about Fight for the Fallen like being moved, you know, for for the for the for a charitable cause, right? So it's just I don't think you have to worry so much about that. He says my weekly swerve rant continues. I'm certain that Air Fox being replaced must 
be a travel-related issue, but the way they did it was frustrating. The team was great for the last month, and one loss ends everything. Maybe they didn't want to do two injury angles on the same show, but there must have been a better solution that kept the team together. Christian must also be able to smell when a wrestler is fatherless. The look on his face when he realized that Nick Wayne was in the ring was priceless. Okay. All right. We go to Muggin, a solid go-home show for Wembley. Some newsworthy happenings with the return of Santana and Ortiz. The tag team scene needs them. The MJF Cole Cat and Mouse is hitting its apex, and something has to give here. The dueling promos casted even more doubt over Friedman's sincerity being legit. Cole being defensive reeks of a red herring. Very nice. Very nice. Muggin slash a movie trailer. <laughs> That's it. Something's gotta give. <laughs> it's an apex in the cat and mouse affair. Lastly, we got a Jesse from the six who says, rest in peace, Terry Funk. That Jericho Osprey segment was weird. Is Pregazin really dead? You know this name? No. Sorry. Okay. And congrats to India for landing a spacecraft on the moon. But what I really want to know is, what does John think of the Austin Matthews extension? I'm sorry. I'm I'm out of the loop there. I know I know about uh the 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 India spacecraft, but the I don't know about the Austin Matthews extension. Uh, the Austin. Oh, sorry. I thought you said the Austin Matthews impression extension. Oh, um, I guess he extended. Well, good for him. The core four. Uh, yeah. Okay. And Yevgeny Pregazin is a Russian oligarch, mercenary leader, and former close confidant of Russian President Vladimir Putin until he launched a rebellion in June 2023, and uh, he's feared dead after a Russian plane crash. Okay. On that so note. Thanks, Jesse. That is going to wrap up um, a nearly two-hour edition of Rewinded Dynamite. So we want to thank all of you for uh, sticking around, listening to the show. A big thank you for WH Park jumping on Mm -hmm. with us to chat about Terry Funk. We will have more on him uh, in the coming days. I'm going to embark on a story. Uh, no promise on when that will be posted, but uh, I'm going to work on it. So that that, that's coming. And uh, way, hey, shout out to uh, you. Brandon Thurston and Nick Hasman for your edition of Pollock and Thurston this afternoon. This was. This is available on the feed right now. What did you guys talk about? Uh, we chatted all about All In, the buildup, the, a lot on the Tony Khan media call. So I avoided chatting about that with Wade tonight. But if you want to hear our thoughts on that call, um, as well as, yeah, the Cash Wheeler situation, uh, pending changes to All In, and of course, the backstage drama that continues with AEW. Nick Houseman, always very insightful and uh, chatting all about AEW and its issues as we are going into its biggest card of all time in terms of its attendance. So um, lots of great stuff uh, chatting about that with Nick and going over a bunch of news stories with Brandon. And also shout out to B Detroit and John Cino. What up though? Filling in for Braden and Davey while the two of them are in London for all, uh, all in uh, for three weeks here on up next. So we welcome them. They did a show this uh, afternoon. So they will be live on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. You can tune into that right now, also on the free feed. And shout out to Jordan Goodman and Neil Flanagan and myself for our edition of the Wellness Policy Open Topic. We heard from a lot of you guys. It was one of my favorite shows that we've done. We've heard some great responses to it so far. So you can find that in the Post Wrestling Cafe feed for free, postwrestlingcafe.com. How did you book uh, Austin and Colton on the Wellness Policy? Excuse me? I tuned in to the Wellness Policy, and I saw you... With the guns out. <laughs> well, listen, man, the, the, the weather is, is you know, pretty warm here in Toronto. And uh, um, I guess uh, you lifting with Santana, uh, I'm a bit of a badass myself. 
All right. Well, check out the wellness policy and watch the video version, okay, to see what I'm talking about. Uh, so there are lots of <laughs> great shows. Tank top, everybody. It's not a big deal. Thursday, we've got Rewind Away. We're chatting about the Royal Rumble 2008. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we got that, squeeze too. that in at, at some point. Right. Um, ways off to start this show. And uh, that's coming out Thursday for Cafe members. And then we're back. Rewind to SmackDown. Postmarks dropping Saturday. We're then- going back in time on Friday. We're going to oh re-air our review of AEW's first. Oh, sorry. Not even AEW's. Just all in. Okay. The very first show from Chicago in 2018. We'll be putting that on the free feed. Uh, so if you guys want to go back and listen to our thoughts. Well, you can That's my that. favorite show this week because we don't have to do anything for it. We just mm. have to upload old stuff. We mm. should get into the habit of that. Uh, so check out that on Friday. That'll be on the free feed. And then, of course, this weekend, Collision Course, Postmarks. And then Sunday, as soon as All In completes and the final words are Adam, flip off All In and join us here on the YouTube channel. Post Wrestling has you covered for everything this weekend. And that is it for us. Thank you for tuning in to Rewind a Dynamite.